I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right, all right. We are in uh, week four of this series called Exponential. We're calling this our four-week journey to Easter because we believe God wants to do something amazing in us and through us this Easter season, amen? Because we believe that there are lost and hurting people in our community, people who need to experience love and grace and forgiveness from shame and and addiction and, and brokenness. And we believe that the answer is Jesus. And so we want to point people to Jesus on Good Friday and Easter. We're so excited to do that. So we're in this series called Exponential, Preparing Our Hearts. And uh, man, we've just been working our way through the book of Acts these last couple months. We are now in Acts chapter 11, and that's where we're going to be in today. If you want to grab your Bibles and head in that direction. Uh, Four years ago, Kristen and I, before we started this church, we bought a house in Maple Grove. And we said, you know what? We're not sure how this whole church thing is going to go. We don't know if people are going to actually show up when we open our doors and, and come be a part of this church called Mosaic. But no matter what happens, we said, hey, we want to plant roots. We want to say that, hey, we are here for good. We're here for the good of the community, and we're here for good. We want to plant roots. And so we bought a house, and we said, man, what can we do to leave a legacy, to, to plant roots? Well, if you're just going to be living someplace for just a year or two, you plant flowers, because those you can enjoy immediately, and then, you know, there's not a real, real long-term effect to planting flowers. But if you want to be someplace for years or for decades, what you do is you plant trees. And, and those trees, uh, it's a lot more work, and they might start off pretty small, but eventually they're going to grow, and they're going to grow these roots, and, and they're going to be something that your children and grandchildren can hopefully enjoy. And that's what we want to be as a church, is, is that we want to say, hey, we're here for good. We want to have lasting benefits. We want to plant our roots deep. Uh, just in the four years that we've lived here in Maple Grove, I've actually planted 26 trees on, on my property. Uh, I have a little bit of addiction towards trees, so you can pray for that and help, help me out in that. Uh, but, but that's what we want to do, right? We, we want to leave a lasting legacy. We don't want to just have something that's just for our benefit for now, for a year or two, planting some flowers. But we want to plant trees because life is all about planting seeds, about cultivating life. It's about leaving a legacy behind so the generation behind us can stand on our shoulders. So that our ceiling becomes their floor that they get to start from. Do you want to leave an impact that's only temporary? Are you planting flowers that look nice? Are you investing in things right now that are temporary? Or are you doing the hard work to, to plant trees, to leave a legacy that will last? How are you intentionally investing in two generations from now, three generations from now? How are you leaving a legacy? Are you investing in your marriage now? So that decades from now, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids can point to that legacy that you have. How are you investing in your kids, into your community, into your church? And maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe, Maybe your marriage ended. Maybe you went bankrupt. Maybe you're still recovering from kind of the shrapnel of your life blowing up. What are you doing now to turn that around and say, you know, it's never too late as long as I have breath to invest in the future, to invest in the next generation what's to come. Like I said, as a church, we want to dig deep roots. We're a new church. We're still figuring out who we are in our DNA and our roots. We say, man, we want to be a blessing for decades to come. We want to invest in kids now. So they can grow up knowing Jesus, so that they raise kids who love and know Jesus. During this series, we've been talking about our vision and how we want to bless people. 
And that's why we're doing this Easter egg hunt. That's why uh, we paid off the school debt for the kids that go to this school. That's why we invest in people working in Malawi, in Munich, you know, around the Twin Cities. We want to be a blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And then we want to help people belong. We say, man, you don't have to believe everything that we believe to belong here. You can come, you can ask your questions. There's many of you who have yet to cross that line of faith, and you're here, you're asking your questions, and that's okay to wrestle with your doubts. This is a safe place to ask those questions. But ultimately, everyone needs to make that decision. Do I put my faith and trust in my belief in myself, or am I going to put my faith and trust in Jesus? And ultimately, we believe the best way to live is to have a belief in Jesus, and that's our hope and prayer for everyone here and, and in our community. But then we said, too often, we kind of get stuck in that belief circle. And we just kind of uh, get stuck in this cul-de-sac of faith rather than being a highway where blessings flow through us. And too often, we can just kind of learn more and more and we're educated beyond our level of obedience. And so instead, that next step was we have to learn to be bringers. How are we bringing blessing in our family, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our places where we work? How are we bringing belonging? How are we bringing belief? That's what this exponential series is about. That's, that's really what the whole book of Acts is about, is how do each and every one of us, how do we live empowered by the Holy Spirit to be bringers of encouragement? We looked at that with Barnabas. Bringers of healing as Peter laid hands and, and healed people. Bringers of the Holy Spirit. Bringers of blessing. That's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we be bringers of blessings? Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, like I said, to Acts chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 19. We've been working our way through the book of Acts, and now we find ourselves in Acts chapter 11. Uh, before we dive into God's word, we just join me in a word of prayer. God, I thank you that you are here. So Lord, we just pray that you would open our eyes to be aware of what you're trying to communicate. God, I pray that my words would be your words, God, that you would work in and around and through what I'm speaking so that every person here would hear the message from you that they need to hear. God, I thank you for your love and for your grace, your mercy that was poured out on the cross by taking the punishment that we should have paid and then offering us that free gift of salvation and grace. So God, this week, I just pray, Lord, that each and every one of us would just be moved by that level of love that you have for all of us, and God, that then we could have that love spill out to our community and the places around us so that we could be bringers of that love and grace. In your name we pray, amen. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, we talk about this, how as, as kind of a counterattack to God's move happening, that, that persecution broke out. And so many of the followers of Jesus were scattered and they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. We talked about how early on the gospel was just being preached to the Jews, and then in chapter 4 to the Samaritans, and then the Ethiopian eunuch in chapter 9, and then finally in chapter 10, Gentiles like most of us were allowed in and outsiders were, became insiders. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, this would be the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with him, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Man, this is our hope and prayer, right? That a great number of people turn and believe in Jesus. That's what our hope is and our prayer is for Easter Sunday. 
that people will come in, that they will be presented with this idea that, man, we can either live and put our belief in ourselves or in Jesus, and that through Jesus we can find healing from all the things that have been done to us, the thing, all the things that we've done. That's our hope and our prayer. Verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Remember Barnabas, we talked about him. Uh, his name means son of encouragement. We met him in Acts 4. He was the one who sold his cabin up north and his fishing boat and all that stuff. And he, then he laid the money at the feet of the apostles so they could continue doing good work for God. They could plant churches. They could make disciples. And then in Acts 9, he's the one that when Saul gets knocked off his high horse by God and, and dramatically meets Jesus. But Saul is this man who's been killing and persecuting women and children. So when he shows up in Jerusalem, everyone's afraid. Is, there, is it possible that he could possibly have changed his life and his follower of Jesus? And Barnabas is the one who sticks up for Saul and says, no, let's give him a chance. Let's, let's believe that he really has experienced Jesus. So that's, that's Barnabas that we've met. And so here he is, that the early church ha has found out that these people are following Jesus. Well, let's figure out what's going on. Let's send Barnabas to them. Let's, let's investigate these Greeks who are now followers of Jesus. And what's the first thing he does, number one, he, he encourages the new believers to remain faithful to God. He says, hey, stay faithful to God. Then the second thing he does, he goes and gets Saul, who's been kind of privately preparing for his ministry. Because there's always a gap between we receive our calling and, and when we get to walk out that calling. And so Saul's been privately preparing, and, and, and Barnabas goes and gets them so that they can come and do ministry together. And for a whole year, they meet with these new disciples, and they're pouring into them. They're mentoring them. They're teaching them the scriptures. They're discipling them. And I love that Barnabas doesn't do that by himself. He, he grabs this new believer, Saul, and says, hey, let's, let's disciple together. And that's we've talked about, the power of partnership, that God can do so much more through us when we're partnered up with people, people who have different strengths, different abilities than, than we are. If you're taking notes this morning, uh, and we want to give you some note sheets so that you don't just have some information, but hopefully a life of transformation, think if you can hear it, if you can write it down, see it, discuss it in your small group, and help get those truths down in your heart. And I want to encourage you that don't just spend time with people who are comfortable. Surround yourself with people who also challenge you. Barnabas and Saul were very different. We talked about how Peter and John were very different. If you're always with people who just it's comfortable being around, you won't be as stretched nearly as much as if you're doing partnership, if you're doing ministry, if you're doing life with people who also challenge you, who stretch you to be more maybe outgoing, to, to pray more, to, who stretch you as, as a parent or as a spouse or whatever that might be. And so it's good to spend time with people who are just, it's comfortable to be around, but it's also really good to spend time with people who are going to challenge you, to stretch you, to get you out of your comfort zone, because that's where we find that we, we grow stronger, that the strength is in the stretch, that when we're stretched beyond what's normal, that's, that's where we get stronger. Verse 27, now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius, the emperor. 
So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So God speaks through some believers who have the gift of prophecy and tells them that, that this famine is coming. And so how does the church respond? They respond with extreme generosity. They start collecting money and say, hey, we need to send this off so that we can, the, the leaders of the church can keep doing the good work that God has called them to do. And the rest of the morning, I want to talk about this life of generosity. First, we see throughout the book of Acts that generosity is evidence of life, lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. That generosity is evidence of lives transformed by the Holy Spirit. One of the evidences that someone has met Jesus and received the Holy Spirit is that they change their mindset about their wealth and their possessions. Instead of believing that everything that's within my hands is for my benefit and for my consumption, those who have been transformed by the Holy Spirit acknowledge that they've been blessed to be a blessing. They live open-handed saying, man, how can I be a conduit so that God can continue to pour blessings through me for the good of the world, for the benefit of those outside of us? But here's the thing is that you and I are not naturally inclined towards generosity. We're naturally inclined to live close-handed, to try to gather all the resources we can to protect ourselves, to protect our families. So therefore, we see that generosity is not natural, it's supernatural. In order to live a life that's marked by generosity, by, by a life that is living open-handed, we need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. God has to change us, to connect us to Jesus, and change us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live generous lives. Now, some of us, I think we resist being generous because we've bought this, into this idea that we need to get all that we can and, and look after our own family and give our kids every single opportunity. Here's the truth. You might need to give your kids a little less opportunities, okay? Amen? Because do you know what it looks like when you give your kid every opportunity? It's like, congratulations, you've raised that spoiled kid from Charlie and Chocolate Factory. You know, that kid that no one likes? Like, it's okay that we, we, we give our kids a little adversity. They have to work for things. That's fine. See, when we meet Jesus and he starts to change our hearts, one of the things that Jesus bursts in us is generosity. That means we're not looking just for ways to take, but we're looking for opportunities to give. We move from being a consumer to a producer. We say, how can I be a bringer of encouragement like Barnabas? How can I be a bringer of healing like Peter? How can I be a bringer of the Holy Spirit wherever I go? How can I be a bringer of blessing? One of the marks of maturity for both men and women is that when you see need, when you see hurt, that you step into that. That's what we want to teach our children. That when we see need, we don't run from that. We step into those situations and say, how can we help? How can we bless? How can we step into this hurt and say, what can we do? We can't do it all, but what can, can we do? How can we be bringers of blessing? And we don't strive to be generous so that we can earn God's love. It's not like that. See, the foundation for our generosity is God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave the most precious thing, his one and only son. So we give because God gave. We want to be generous because God was generous. Jesus, we see, was so generous with his time. He spent time with the crowds with the individuals. In that culture, kids were seen as second-class, third-class citizens. And when the kids rushed onto his lap, the disciples said, no, keep him away. And Jesus was very generous with his time. No, let the children come to me. 
when Jesus was on his way to a ministry appointment and someone interrupted him, he stopped. He took time for the individual. We see again and again throughout the book of Acts that people shared their possessions as there was need. They shared their time. They shared their gifts. They shared their talent. They were generous with mercy, with grace, with love. And that is what God calls us to be. But there is an enemy to generosity. In the 1920s and 1930s in Oklahoma and around that area, there was a severe drought. And it's what called the dust bowl, that a lot of the farms just became dust because there was no moisture, no rain. A man named Jeremiah Clary, he, he slowly watched as, as all his food dwindled and, and his farm just blew away in dust. And, and he, he'd plant seeds and, and they'd just blow away. And Jeremiah felt this strange attachment towards his remaining bags of seed as he approached the planting time. He knew that he should plant his seeds because if he didn't do that, then he wouldn't receive a crop and a harvest down the road. But he started to want to hoard them. He felt, well, what if the winds kind of blew it all off? What if things continue to get worse? I need to hold on to this and hold it on to hoard what I have. In a lot of ways, I think we live in a similar state. We live in this uncertain world with this what ifs. What if my retirement accounts continue to diminish, unexpected expenses, worldwide economic turmoil? What if my kids need more money? And so we stuff rags like Jeremiah to keep out the dust in our portfolios. We hope for the best. But in the midst of it all, we are meant to produce a crop, a spiritual crop. But each and every one of us have a limited financial seed for sowing into God's kingdom, into blessing others. See, I don't think that Christians are necessarily too greedy to give, to be a blessing. I just think a lot of people have fear. And that prevents them from being generous with their time, being generous serving their talents, being generous with their finances. But see, fear has always been an enemy of a growing faith. Fear has a way of clouding our thinkings and obscuring the facts. What if I sign up to volunteer and then my time is taken up? I can't do that. What if I reach out to my neighbor and they start abusing that relationship and, and I can't, you know, they start borrowing more and more of my tools and I never get them back? What if I don't have enough money? And so fear becomes an enemy of a growing faith. Um, I did this a couple years ago. Most of you guys weren't here at that time, so I'm gonna do it again. Um, I think our two most valuable possessions we have on us are our wallets and our phone. Pull out your wallet and your phone, put them in your hands. Let me see, everyone have your wallet and your phone? Maybe they're combined. All right, got your wallet? Let's see him, Ryan, come on. Let's see it. All right, let's start with your wallet. If your phone is connected to your wallet, that, that'll count. All right, here's what we're gonna do. You're going to pass your wallet one person to your left. Josh behind you if you're in the front row. If you don't have your wallet, then pass your phone to the person on your left. All right, go ahead and pass them to one more person down the row. How's your level of anxiety? One more time, pass it to one more person. Everyone's anxiety is through the roof. 
All right, Jeremy, I said we're taking the offering at the end, but let's receive offering now. So go ahead and open up the wallet and see what's, uh, just kidding. Okay, go ahead and pass it back, pass it back. We feel so attached to our money, our phones, that our anxiety goes through the roof when someone else has that. Go ahead and take out your phones again. All right, if you're browsing Facebook or whatever, go ahead and use the opportunity to check in on our, our website. That's okay. If you're checking the masters, you can maybe tweet about us or something, uh, whatever you might be doing. Uh, go Tiger. Um, but our phones, for the most part, have limited storage, right? Like, they don't have unlimited storage. There's only so much that our phones can hold, so many pictures, so many videos. Uh, is Beth still in the room? No. I think Beth holds the uh, record I've ever seen for how many pictures someone has on a phone. So you should ask her. She has like 30,000 pictures on her phone. It's true. But at a certain point, your phone fills up. And at a certain point, like maybe you've you had this experience where you're someplace and you want to take a picture, you want to take a video, and all of a sudden you get that message, your phone is out of, of storage. Or our lives are the same way that depending on what we're filling in our hearts and our minds, if it's filled up with all our concerns about paying the bills, about the what ifs of life, we won't have room for God's spirit to come in us and fill us up with what he wants to teach us. And so we have to learn to let go of some of that stuff that we've been filling our hearts and minds with. Jesus, when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon, here's what Jesus says about that in Luke chapter 12. Verse 22, he said, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, whether after church it's Raising Cane's or Chipotle or whatever it might be, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Jesus is saying, man, you're worth so much more than the ravens. And look, they don't worry themselves what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear. Let's be honest. A raven is a rat with wings, right? Like no one has a pet bird. My in-laws have pet birds. You guys don't have any ravens, right? Right. Only Uncle Billy from It's a Wonderful Life has a pet raven, and he's a few crayons short of a full box, right? No one goes bird watching for ravens. Like they're linked with death. It's a raven. It's a worthless animal. And yet that's what Jesus says, that you are worth even more than this worthless animal. Consider this rat with wings. They are everywhere. They don't sow, they don't read, and yet God feeds them. How much more will your Father who loves you take care of you? Verse 25, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I think we can read that and be like, Jesus, what are you doing? Sell my possessions? Why are you going after my stuff? But I think Jesus isn't going after our stuff. He says, 
I'm not trying to take away your stuff. I'm trying to take away your stress. And a lot of your stress is connected to your stuff. Jesus is saying that your life follows your money. Where does your money go? Odds are it goes to your fears. You want security, so you go to your home. You want comfort, so it goes to entertainment. You want status, so it goes to your possessions. You want approval, so it goes to your clothes. You want friends, so it goes to your gifts. But when we meet Jesus, he starts to change our hearts. And one of the things Jesus birthed in us is generosity. It means we're not looking for ways to take, we're looking at opportunities to give. We're grateful for the generosity of God and we're generous towards others because we want to mirror and reflect the image of God. We want his generosity to be, to be shared through us. I heard a speaker, his name is Harris III. He doesn't have a first name, I don't know why, but his name is just Harris. And he said this, he said, fear is vision without optimism. And he says, fear is a misuse of imagination. Fear is a misuse of imagination. He said, some of you are visionaries. You can see the future. You can see where your health is going, where your relationships are headed. You can see down the road, but you don't have any optimism because you're fearful. This could go bad. This, this, could, this could happen. This could go bad. He said, fear is an enormous issue and it manifests itself in something called anxiety. See, a lot of you are very imaginative, but fear is a misuse of imagination. But isn't it wonderful that Jesus, our wonderful counselor, he talks about issues like fear and anxiety that are so relevant in our world today, 2,000 years later. Do you know the number one category of prescription medication in the U.S. is antidepressants? And one of the top issues with people is sleeplessness. People are anxious. They're stressed out. They're freaked out. They're struggling. People are taking less vacation time than ever. And if they do go on vacation, they keep their, take their phones, they take their laptops so they can keep working because they're fearful of not being in control. Man, this is me. I have the hardest time unplugging when I go on vacation. But Jesus is the wonderful counselor. And he's talking about these things because he really does love us. He wants to help us. We see that fear in the mind leads to anxiety in the body. That when our mind is spinning with all the what ifs, and so then we, and we start to hoard our possessions and, and we're afraid there's not gonna be enough to go around, there's a physical manifestation in our bodies. We feel it in our guts, in, in our sleeplessness, in our health. Anxiety is the body's response to fear in the mind. It's, it's that fight or flight mentality. You're getting amped up like you're going to war or running for your life. So Jesus says, man, I want to help take away your fear, your anxiety, to trust in me. And instead of living close-handed, trying to protect all that you can have, trying to protect your calendar, protect your checkbook, your bank account. Instead, Jesus wants us to live a generous life with open hands. I want to encourage you in your schedules, build in margin. Margin is that white space around the pages. Just look at your calendar and just say, do I have margin in it? Do I have the opportunity that if someone needs me that I can have that flexibility to, to, to go be with them, to sit with them, to cry with them, to help them move a couch, whatever it might be. We can't be a blessing with our time and be generous if, if we're using up all our schedule for ourselves and our immediate family. Take a look at your bills. Is all the money that's coming in, are you spending it on yourself? You won't have an opportunity then to be generous.
What is your plan to be generous with the gifts and abilities God has given you? What is your plan to be generous with your time? What is your plan to be generous with your finances? And I want to talk to you as I close here, just to those of maybe who love your church and your desire to be generous, but you don't have a plan for that. I'd say, hey, do you have a plan on how you're going to be generous? How are you going to support your local church? How are you going to, to, to bless others? See, what statistics say is that the average Christian doesn't have a plan. They just kind of give when it's convenient or when they remember. Maybe the end of the year you get a bonus and, oh yeah, sorry, I should, I, should, I should give a little bit away. That's what average Christians do. But man, my heart as your pastor, I don't want you to just be average. I don't think you do either. I don't want you to be an average parent. I don't want you to have an average marriage. I don't even want you to take average vacations. I want you to live a life that's blessed. If the average Christian doesn't have a plan, then what we need to do is we need to have a plan. I think there's three reasons why someone maybe doesn't. Number one, maybe you just had never thought about it before. Maybe it's just, it's brand new to have a plan. Maybe you're just super spontaneous and you're like, I don't like to have a plan for anything. And you're like, well, this is my first time I've ever thought about that. How am I going to plan to be generous? And so the first, that's, that's all you need to do is just start thinking about it, start coming up with a plan. Number two, I think people just haven't, they know they need to, but they haven't taken the time to create a plan. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, yeah, 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 I know, I need, I need to be better about this. I'm, I honestly have been just kind of spontaneous when I write my check, or, or maybe I wait until the very end of the year and write one check instead of tithing all year round. But I don't want you just to have a plan for giving. I want you to have a plan for saving, to have a plan for spending. Do you know where your money's going? Do you know where your time is going? A long time ago, I heard this from someone, just great general principles. Plan on giving 10%, saving 10%, and then living on 80% of money that comes in. Maybe for some of you that you live on 110% of money that, that you earn, that's a radical shift. And so you have to do the hard work of slowly cutting things back. Number one is that you're spending less then you're earning, and then get into a place where how can I set it up so that automatically 10% is going into savings and ultimately 10% is going towards giving. Have a plan for what you're spending. Have a plan for what you're giving. Have a plan for what you're saving. You need to have a giving plan. You need to sit down and say, here's how I'm going to give back to God to support my church. Because if you don't have a plan, here's what's gonna happen to both your calendar and, and your budget. Is that you're gonna... Spend way more. You're not going to save enough. You won't have a plan for giving. You're going to save too little. You're going to spend too much. And you're just going to give leftovers. But here's the thing. When someone comes over to your house for dinner, like you never serve them leftovers, right? And we don't want to give God leftovers. The Bible talks about this principle of the tithe. We want to give him our first and our best. Now, we can debate all day long whether old covenant, new covenant, 10%, is it a different percent? That's not what I want to do today. My desire for you as your pastor is that you are generous. And generosity looks vastly different for different people. On where you are in your life, maybe you're a college student. Generosity means you have more time than money and you can show up more. Maybe generosity is just, it's giving a little bit. And you know, hey, this is all I can afford to give, but this is generous for me. I'm going to give up, you know, that one Starbucks latte a week, and that's how I can be generous. Some of you further on in life, Honestly, 10% is nothing. You don't feel it. It's just nothing. And so the question is, what does it look like to be generous? 
And so that's what you have to work with with God and pray about that. God, what does it look like for me to be generous, to come up with a plan for that? And number three, I think sometimes people don't give because they used to think, oh, the church doesn't need my money. Uh, you know, just I, I, I show up every week and look around and it's, it's all set up. They don't need my time. I've got enough people. There must be someone supporting this church. The truth is, this church isn't supported by any outside organizations or denomination or anything like that. We're 100% supported by the people in this room. So we thank you for your generosity to do that. But if you think we don't need your support, man, we do. To be all that God's called us to be, we need everyone to be generous with your time, with your talents, sharing who you are, generous with your finances. We're going to be the kind of community that we're outward focused, that we're not focusing in on ourselves. We're raising our kids to be generous, to say, hey, kids, this is, this is why we get here early on Sunday mornings. Man, I love it so much when I see Dan Pfeiffer, others showed up here with, with, their, with our toddlers. It's modeling and teaching that we exist for others and we're gonna be generous with our time. I know of a pastor that whenever he gives to the church that he pastors, he, he, he writes that check with his son and he says, hey, this is me being generous. Look, this is, this is how we support our church. This is how we, we give. How are you involving your kids in that that you're modeling it, that, man, we want to live generous so we, so we don't raise spoiled kids. Do you have a plan? Because we believe that the church, the local church, is the hope of the world. Man, I'm so thankful for parachurch organizations and all these other things that exist, but that is not what God set up, that Jesus set up when he left to heaven. He set up the church. This is the hope of the world. His primary vehicle to help lost people be found, to help people experience community, to be blessed, to be taken care of. That's the primary way we bear one another's burdens. We care for one another. We do life with other people. That's how we lay hands on the sick and pray for healing. We cry with those who are grieving. That happens in the life of the local church. We invest in the next generation by giving our time, by giving our finances so that they can be invested in. That we support our leaders who are investing in our teenagers, who are telling them about Jesus, who are helping our teens find a place where they can use their gifts and talents so that when they graduate and go to college, they don't leave the church. But when they have their own ministry, when they have their own opportunities, to serve, to lead, they stay in the church. They stay plugged into God. And I believe we're here, not just to plant some flowers that look nice, not to just put on a, a service that looks fun or to do an Easter egg hunt just because it's a fun thing to do. It's about planting trees, about digging roots deep to leave a legacy. We have the opportunity right now as this church is still getting started and forming, what kind of church do we want Mosaic to be for our grandkids? And so often we don't think about that. We just think about the here and now. How can we invest in Maple Grove and Osseo and Corcoran and Elk River so they're the kind of communities we want our grandkids to grow up in? How are we blessing those around us? I'm going to invite the band to come out.
this week. Take some time. If you're married, sit down with your spouse and just say, okay, what is our plan to be generous? We want to reflect the generosity of God. What is our plan? If you don't have a plan, how are we going to be generous with our time? Look at your calendar and say, is there anything we need to scale back in? What do we need to cut back in so that our calendar is not devoted 100% to just our family? And say, how are we going to be a blessing and serve others? What does that look like? Take a look at how you're spending your money. Maybe you don't know how you spend your money. That's the first thing you need to do. And say, okay, am I being intentional about saving? Am I intentional about giving? Am I intentional about what I'm spending my money on? How are you going to use the way that God has wired you up? There's so much potential in this room. We want to help you unleash your potential to be a force for good. And, and if you don't know where to plug in, man, I'd love to meet with you, talk with you, brainstorm. How has God wired you to serve, not just here on a Sunday morning, but outside in our community to be a blessing? We're going to receive our offering in just a minute. Would you stand with me as we close our service? Here's what Malachi 3.10 says. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That's the temple where they worshiped. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be enough room to store it. This is the one time in the Bible that God says to test him. And again, I don't think it's just about this 10%, is it not, whatever it might be. The principle is being generous. And God says, test me in this. That if you give your life away, if you realize that you are blessed to be a blessing, and you give your time, your talents, your treasure away, that God will not open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessings on you. That doesn't mean you give $1 and God's gonna give you 10. It may be that, man, you give to some single mom or some neighbor who's in need, and man, your heart is filled with that of blessing. Your kids realize that they we're put on this earth for a purpose and not just for themselves so they can to see outside and to see others. Test God. As you give, as you are generous, will he not pour open the floodgates of heaven? And our desire is that we would see God. He would open up the heavens. He would show us his glory. And I believe one of the ways that God wants to pour out blessing is by living generous lives. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and we're going to go out of here singing this song as we receive our offering. God, open up the heavens. Pour out your blessings on us. Show us your glory. Let us be a conduit that you can flow through us. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the book of Acts and for Dr. Luke who wrote down this story and cataloged what the early church did and for Theophilus who funded his mission. God, I thank you that the early church showed us how they supported one another through generosity by being generous in their love and their grace and their forgiveness, being generous with their time, with their gifts, with their finances. God, we want to be the same way. We want to be generous. We just want, God, you to pour out so many blessings that flow through us. God, that, that we are, are, are not a cul-de-sac, but we, God, that we are a highway that you pour through us and we can just spread that love and, and that grace to others around us. 
God, I pray for every person in this room. You would show them your glory. God, that as we are moved this week by the immensity of the cross, how your love was poured out in such a huge way, God, that our hearts would be moved to be generous as well. God, we pray for Easter coming up, that lost people would be found by you, that people who are longing for community would discover Mosaic and be a place where they could feel like they can belong, God, that we'd be a blessing to our community. God, we pray for these offerings, these tithes, that we'd be good stewards, God, that you would bless what has been given so that we could accomplish what you've called us to do. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for being here. Remember, next Sunday, we're not here. We're at Osseo High School for Friday and Sunday. Then we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, have a great week. May you know that God doesn't just love you, that he so loves you, that he gave his only son so you could have eternal life. So now let's go out this week and let's be blessed. Let's go out if you're singing.